it's good to see you here today, and it's also a joy to uh, welcome in those of you who are joining us uh, online. Good to have you be a part of Freedom Online today. We are in a series right now talking about uh, big choices that we have to make in life. And uh, last week we started out by talking about the important choice of choosing to live for God's purposes instead of choosing to live for popularity or to please the people who are around us because you're never going to be able to do that. And next Sunday we're going to be talking uh, about something that is going to be super applicable. Next week would be a great week to invite friends and unchurched people to come to because this is going to be one of those messages next Sunday that's going to touch so many different areas of your life as we talk about choosing to live and, and make choices that have to do with a disciplined life as opposed to a life filled with regret. And so you won't make it to the parking lot before you'll realize areas to make adjustments and to apply that. But today we're going to be talking about choosing surrender over control. And uh, just share a couple of quotes with you as we start out today. Jean-Paul Sartre said very simply in line with what we're talking about that we are our choices. Would you agree with that? That in large part we are the sum total of our choices. J.K. Rowling, and no, I'm not a Harry Potter fan, but she said in her second book, it's our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Now, chew on that one because it's very true. It's our choices more than our abilities that define and declare who we are. Stephen Covey, in, in his uh, well-read book, um, uh, The Seven Practices of Highly Effective People, said, but until a person can say deeply and honestly that I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, that person cannot say, I choose otherwise. Very true stuff. So today, we're going to talk about choosing surrender over control. And I shared with our leadership team as we were praying earlier this morning, I said, this is one of those messages that we'll talk about some fun and lighthearted stuff along the way. And when you know that we're going to be talking about surrender today, it's easy as a Christian to go, oh, yeah, that's really good stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you on the front end. What the Holy Spirit is likely to do with this is land in some really personal places in our lives, really touching some places that we don't want to surrender control. Now, let me just go ahead and ask you on the front end, how many of you know you've already identified yourself before we even get started, that you would say, yes, I know that I love to control things. That there's one or more major things in your life that you love to control. Keep them up. Keep them up. Let me just see. That is a lot of us. And yes, I, I'm not just raising by example. I am a control person. Now, how many of us with our hands up right now, it's bugging you that the person next to you doesn't have their hand up. And you want to you wanna elbow them to get their hand up. That's a good sign that you really are a control freak. And yes, I are one of them. We all have things that we want to control. It may just be something as simple as the remote control or the thermostat or the checkbook or the steering wheel or the gas pedal or it may be bigger things like our children or our spouse or the calendar. But we all have things that we want to control. And I'm just going to say that uh, just as a personal note. I'm about to celebrate, Jackie and I, are, we're about to celebrate our second anniversary here in a couple of weeks. And these two years, oh, yeah, it has been good. But it was also really hard that first year. Because when two people who were as big a control freaks as Jackie and I are, let me just go ahead and tell you, no, she's not in the room, but she is. Because she's watching online right now. She's in Tuscaloosa with Morgan. And so what I say about her, I'm still accountable for because she's watching. Hey, baby, I love you. 
she is every bit as big a control freak as I am. And when you're in your 40s and you get married and you've had some years to live alone, man, I had no idea how big an adjustment that is. I mean, I had to go to new husband school for about a year to have a chance of making this work out smoothly at all because I discovered, I mean, I already knew I was a big control freak and I married one too. And so we're having to learn to make all these adjustments to one another. Now, in, in new husband school, the things that I had to be taught that were not a normal part of my life were important things like you don't wear your shoes in the house. I actually had to learn that one before we got married. Marriage wasn't going to be an option unless I learned the whole thing about your, your shoes are dirty, you don't wear them in the house. So I got converted to that, and now I'm a part of that nation, the no shoes in the house nation. I was that before I ever got married. But I have since learned some other really important things like you can't go to bed unless you've had a shower right before you go to bed. All my life, I was a morning shower person. That will not cut it. So now I'm a twice-a-day shower person because you can't get in the bed on clean sheets with a body that was not freshly cleaned. So I have learned my lesson about now I am also a nighttime shower person. But I've also learned other lessons that I didn't even realize were important things in life. Like you never leave two squares of toilet paper on the roll. That is very inconsiderate. If you're down to one or two squares, you must replace it. And guys, this is the critical piece. I did not know how important this was. But the roll has to be fed where the toilet paper is coming toward you over the top, not from behind underneath. You were right. You were right, honey. See, the women all applauded that. These are important things. And I haven't even gotten to toilet seats. I mean... I have been back to school, and I am becoming a better man. But now, initially, when I bumped into all those things, I'm thinking, what is the deal? These things don't really matter. They seem so small and insignificant, just like the silly things that I feel like I need to control. And, and yes, I feel like I need to take a Valium if I'm going to watch television and I don't get to hold the remote control. Because, you see, it's not about what we're watching. It's about what we could be watching during the commercials. There's all those other things on, and it takes a skilled hand to get back at just the moment when the commercials are over. That's not a control issue, is it? And you see, I didn't think when it came to the vehicle that I'm a very big control freak because my wife loves to drive. I like to drive, but I'm okay with swapping that out. I'm good with with her driving. But I've realized I'm still a control freak because I actually like to stay within 5 or 10 miles an hour of the posted speed limits. If I believed in reincarnation, my wife was a race car driver in a former life. The woman loves to drive fast. And she's got this invisible bubble around her and her car. She's never gotten a ticket in her life. If there are any state troopers watching, it is a white Audi you want to keep an eye out for. It's, it's really kind of crazy how much it bothers me. When she's driving, that I feel like I need to watch the speedometer, and I'm over there pressing the imaginary brake pedal. And when she's texting and driving, I've got the steering wheel from the passenger side driving that. Those are pretty good indications there is a control freak in the passenger seat. You see, we've, we've all got some things that we need to control. I discovered a long time ago the calendar's one of mine. I need to know and and have the calendar and I need to be in control of what's being scheduled and have things mapped out for months in advance because it gives me an illusion of control.
Now we can laugh about all those those little things, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter so much which direction the toilet paper is facing, or exactly how fast we're going, or who's driving, or who's holding the remote control. Those may be silly little things, but the truth of the matter is, those are little examples of a much bigger, deeper problem. Because the need to be in control of everyone and of everything is a reflection of a, of a heart problem. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't just feel the need to control the remote control or the calendar. At some deep level that I don't want to admit, I feel the need to control the people that I love. To control the important decisions that they make. My girls are grown. They're 26 and 22. And there's a part of me that still wants to control key decisions in their lives. That wants to control who they're with and how they live and how they spend their money. There are lots of us who struggle with issues like this. And when we struggle with the need to control people, circumstances, situations, choices that other people are going to make, it reflects a fundamental heart problem that's wrapped up in not wanting God to be God. I need to take God's place. I need to figure this out. I need to fix it. I need to control it. I need to figure out the timing of it. The passage that we're going to look at today is the, is the central passage. is a very popular one. Lots of people love it. Probably several of you would say it's your very favorite Bible passage. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I was taught to memorize this verse as a child, and it's still one of my favorites. And yet there's a part of it that drives me crazy. It's, it's one of those that sounds so sweet, but when you get at what he's really saying, it's a little tougher to swallow. Solomon said this, Trust in the Lord with... All your heart, everyone say all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Everybody say not on your own understanding. That's the rub. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, we love verses like that that just, you know, trust in the Lord. Your path will be straight. It just sounds like such a nice, neat picture. Life's going to be easy. You notice he said your path would be straight. He didn't say anything about how many, how many bumps there would be in that road, did he? He just said your path would be straight. It would be a path that you can follow. But notice the conditions to get to that straight path. First of all, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, I think in theory that I, I try and do that. And lean not on your own understanding, not even on my best day do I think that I get there. Because when he says, don't lean on your own understanding, that means you don't get to figure it out. You don't get to control it. You don't get to decide the how or the when. That's the rub, isn't it? I hate that. There are so many situations where I can discern what it is that God is, wants to do, what should happen. I'm like, God, I'm sure we're on the same page here. We're thinking the same thing. This is what needs to happen here. The thing that God and I can't agree on is when it needs to happen. Because in my mind, right now, today is when it needs to happen. And God sometimes seems to get behind my schedule. Does God ever get behind your schedule? And that frustrates me. And then I get into trouble. Because you see, when God doesn't do what I needed him to do, what I know he should have done as quickly as he should have done it, well, that's when sometimes I have to take the control out of God's hands and put it in my own. And I make the worst messes when I do that. It says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him. 
That's another term for surrender. You see, these are our two choices. We can have control or we can submit to God and surrender control to him so that it's up to him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to begin by just uh, talking with you about a good example in the scriptures of when people try to take control of what really belongs in God's hands and how that works out. It always works out badly. I want to remind you of a part of the story of Abraham and Sarah. This is actually before God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah when they were Abram and Sarai. Uh, God, so many times, whenever he would do a profound work changing people's hearts, he would also change their names. Names were really significant because they were a reflection of character and of destiny. And so before God had changed their names, he had spoken to them, he had spoken to to Abram, and and he had made a number of promises in uh, Genesis 15, or actually starting in Genesis 12, and he repeated them again in in other uh, places, Genesis 15 and others, where he would reaffirm his covenant to Abram. And and he said, you know, I'm going to give you a, a lasting name, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you basically a a destiny and an inheritance. But I'm going to give you uh, children, descendants who are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. I'm going to make a great nation of you. And through them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is a promise that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so Abram's been holding on to this. God relocated him from Ur of the Chaldees and they, they migrate to what was southeast Turkey and landed there for a while. And eventually they traveled on to the Holy Land. And so Abram's holding on to all these promises from God. And it seemed like these things were beginning to play out. God was blessing him. He's prospering. He's becoming known. And uh, he now is beginning to take possession of some portion of what is the promised land. But there's a one, this one big part of the promise that hasn't been fulfilled, and it is the promise for descendants. And that was the biggie. Because anybody who didn't have descendants, they were, in the culture, they were looked at as, as not being loved by God, that somehow God was punishing them, and that they didn't have favor with God. We've already seen in the Abram story that he, he had some control issues. And that in situations where he wasn't in control, he would do some goofy stuff to try and retake control. We have a couple of different odd stories where he and his wife have, in desperate times, uh, gone into pagan places, pagan lands. And apparently Sarah was just a knockout. I mean, it's hard to picture a woman who is so beautiful that when they would go into Egypt, that Abram would say, Look, I know when we get there uh, that the king, he's going to want you. He is going to be pining for you. Now, you think about all the women that the king has access to, and your wife is so gorgeous that it is a given that he's going to be after her. That's Sarah. And so both times he pulls the same stunt where he says, so I've got a plan for how to take control of this situation. I'm just going to lie about who you are. And instead of saying you're my wife, I'm just going to say you're my sister. And that way he won't feel the need to kill me before he takes you home to have sex with you. Now, if you're a woman, don't you just feel really honored by the protection and all in that plan? That's a man covering his own backside. That's Abram trying to take control of the situation. We're already seeing that he's, he's got some issues here. Well, when we get to the point in time where they're now getting kind of old, they're, they're getting very old in terms of childbearing years. They're way past that, and, or at least for Sarah they are. And they're trying to figure out, how is this promise ever going to come true? It's not happening like God said that it would. And so we're going to need to help God along. Anybody ever tried to help God along before? Ooh, I have. 
I have absolutely gotten myself in binds financially and otherwise because things weren't moving along the way they needed to. I'm, so I'm just going to help God's plan. They decided to help out God's plan. So in Genesis 16, beginning in verse 1, we read that Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to have children. And since she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar, Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from giving birth, so go to my servant. Maybe she will be able to provide me with children. So Abram did just as Sarah said. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took her Egyptian servant Hagar and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. I've always been sort of amused how we will use that term, slept with somebody and they became pregnant. I don't think sleep gets people pregnant. Obviously, Abram and Hagar did more than that, and that is a part of the rub in this story. Can you imagine the bizarre conversation that took place? Honey, I'm not getting any younger. Not everything works like it's supposed to. I'm not going to be able to have kids, so I'm going to need you to take one for the team I'm going to need you to go to bed with my much younger maidservant. Are you willing to do that? Can you imagine Abram's position? Honey, I'll do it just for you. I mean, I don't know what he said. Yeah, taking one for the team there. I don't know. He's an idiot's what he is. Now, we've paid a price ever since then. God isn't doing what he promised as quickly as they had imagined. And so they take control of the situation. I don't think this is going to work. I don't think God's going to be able to do it. We're past a time frame where it could possibly all work out. And so, as a solution to this, you sleep with Hagar and get her pregnant. And that'll be the child that God had promised. Well, she did conceive. And they had a child. And his name was Ishmael. And holy smokes, there has been chaos ever since. Because God fulfilled his promise. He just waited until they were so old, no one on earth could get credit for it. God alone could pull this off. When a 99-year-old man and an 89-year-old woman get together and make a baby, God is the one who made that baby. Amen? And that's what happens between Abraham and Sarah. God gives them the child of promise, Isaac, and all of the promises of God. All of those promises which are fulfilled, they are fulfilled through Isaac and his line. But through Ishmael and Hagar, so much pain and chaos. Because as you can imagine, ladies, boy, Sarah could not stand having to be around Hagar after this happened. She's the one who instigated it. And yet she just, you can imagine the comparisons that were going on in her mind. Suddenly she couldn't stand the sight of her. She begins to torment her. Even just the child, this isn't working. This isn't a fit. And so there's nothing but discord and finally separation and conflict that, oh, by the way, has been going on for 3,800 years. Because the entire nation of Israel is descended from Isaac. And Palestine, the Palestinians of today, are the descendants of Ishmael, including Muhammad. You see, Muslims, they believe in, that they believe in Abraham, and they believe that they serve the God of Abraham. They believe that all of the promises that God made to Abraham 
were reckoned through Ishmael, not through Isaac. Do you understand now that if some of the divide, that everything God promised that he would do through Abraham's descendants, they believe it's being fulfilled through Ishmael's descendants. And so you've had this 3,800-year conflict between these two children, the child of promise and the child that is born out of humans needing to take control and help God accomplish his will. I tell you that story because it's just a big real-life example of what happens whenever we try and take control of a situation that never was ours to control. And so here's the major life lesson from this story. You may want to write it down. The lesson is this. Never sleep with a woman named Hagar. No, that's not, that's not it. That's really not it. You probably aren't going to do that. Now, the life lesson is never try to take control of something that belongs firmly in God's hands. And we're all tempted to do that. I mean, think about the Christian young woman who in her heart more than anything else, she wants to find a godly man so that she and her husband can serve the Lord together and really be one and on the same page. But she's been waiting, and she's been praying, and she's been watching, and her body clock has been ticking, and she's not feeling as young as she used to feel. And so maybe God needs a little help in speeding this thing up, and this guy who has been coming on to her and wanting to go out with her, and even though she's pretty clear that he's not a believer and that if he is, he's hiding it pretty well because he's not following Jesus with his lifestyle. But he is cute. And you know, I could probably lead him to Jesus. And so what do we tend to do in those kinds of circumstances? How many times have you watched what happens here? She'll start doing some evangelistic dating. She'll give her heart to somebody who doesn't love Jesus because surely he'll come to love Jesus. And you know what the end result of this is 90-something percent of the time. She winds up in a miserable relationship, in a terrible marriage because she's violated scriptures because she took control of a situation that belonged in God's hands. We'll do the same thing with our finances. We're rocking along, doing the things we're supposed to be doing. Not spending more than we make, tithing, doing the things that we know to do. But then we start getting frustrated when we compare our lives with other people. And they've got bigger homes. They own their home. They've got nice shiny vehicles. We're driving an old clunker. And we get frustrated with that. God, you haven't, you haven't blessed me financially the way I thought you were supposed to if I tithed. If I did the right stuff. And so we start figuring out, you know what, if, if I were to borrow this much money and if I were to quit giving so much money to the church, if I'd start making some adjustments like that, I could have a new car. I could have it today. I wouldn't have to wait on it. And we start making decisions where we take control rather than waiting on God's timing. And we put ourselves in a bind and we put ourselves in a position where we miss out on the blessing of God because we took control of the circumstances. We look for ways to take control. And I don't know of any place where we're more tempted to do that than those of us who are parents doing that in the lives of our kids. We feel such a natural inclination to need to protect our children. And we let that run wild 
in, in many of our hearts to the place that we become helicopter parents who are always hovering over our kids, even when we're not physically present with them. We're dialed into what's going on with them so we can swoop in and rescue them and fix the situation. Yeah, those are the parents that are the worst nightmare for the teachers at school. Because everything that goes on with their kids, the parents got to rush in and fix it for them. And the teacher must be wrong or the other parents or the other kids must be wrong. And we've got to be in control. These are the parents that when the child comes home and, you know, there's a big paper to be written. Oh, well, let me help you with that. Let me help you write that. Why don't I type that for you? If you're typing papers for your child, you need to point a big finger at your own chest and say, I have control issues. Controlling things in our children's lives because we've got to make sure they get an A. We've got to make sure that they get in the right class, that they get the right teacher. We've got to make sure that they get into college and that they get into the right school. Those are control issues. When we need to control the things that clearly belong in God's hands or in other people's hands, we have a fundamental problem of needing to surrender to God. You know, I, I read recently, this, this one kind of blew me away, but I can very much believe it, read about a Huffington Post um, article that stated that 8% of recent college graduates today, that's 1 in 12, will take their parents, one of their parents with them, into a job interview. 8% of college graduates take mama or daddy in with them when they go do an interview for a new job. Can I just tell you, if you're a recent college graduate and you're going to work for Freedom Church, you better leave mama and daddy in the car. They may drive you to the interview, but if they come in with you, I don't care how smart you are. You're not getting hired. One in 12 today are bringing mom and dad on board. Friends, that's not a reflection on that generation nearly as much as it is a reflection on our generation who have had so much control in their lives that they are now codependent. They are so enmeshed with us that they don't even feel capable of going into a job interview without us holding their hand. That's a reflection of a generational problem of control. So what I want to ask you now is when you think about your own life, I want you to be very honest right now. And I want you, whether if you're watching and listening online, I want you to join us in this. If you're in the room and you've got that outline, I want you to pull your outline out right now. I want you to stop and consider what is it that you feel the need to control? Is it a person? Is it a relationship? Is it a situation? Is it finances? I want you to whip out a pen. Everybody pull out a pen. And I want you to take the time to write this down. If right now you're gritting your teeth and going, I'm not doing that. He can't make me do that. You have a major control problem. (laughs) Yes, indeed. This isn't for anybody else to look at. Now, I want you to, I'm not picking on you. I'm just, I'm getting inside my own head and in yours. The very thing in us that's going, I don't want to do that. Somebody else might see what I'm writing down. Do you realize that's even a control issue? I need to control my image. I need to control how other people look at me. I can't write anything down. If I write something down, I've got to write something safe. I don't want anybody to see that I actually have a problem with wanting to control my spouse or my kids. You know what I'm saying? 
let go, be honest. This is between you and God. Don't worry about what your neighbor's writing down, what your mate is writing down, your boyfriend or girlfriend's writing down. You write down. What is it that you tend to control or try to control? If you're watching and listening online right now and you don't have a piece of paper to write it down, think it through. If you're watching with somebody, look at one another and you can ask each other that question. Now, having written, hopefully, one or two things down, the follow-up question simply is this. Is this something that really is mine to control? Is this something that I'm supposed to be in control of? Or is this something that I need to put back in God's hands? That I need to surrender to Him and submit to Him and trust Him with all of my heart? to be in charge of this situation in control of, of this person the only solution to a control problem is surrender I don't know another alternative you either keep controlling and manipulating or you surrender it to God so I want to just as we're really getting through the heart of this I want to give you three different questions to help you choose surrender over control and to help you even process what is it that I need to do here. And so the first question, this is just real simple stuff, is to, is to just ask yourself, is it worth my concern? You ever stop to think about how many times people will get so upset about things that aren't worth even caring about? I mean, does that ever happen at your house? That somebody just gets so tied up in knots because... Those towels weren't folded the right way. There's a right way to fold towels, and they weren't folded right. Yeah, don't people are pointing fingers. Right? Yes, that apparently that's the case. Or somehow the dishes weren't done right, or they weren't stacked right, or you know, I can't believe you cut the grass the way that you did. You did laps, and you know we are striped. We are line people. If you're line people, and that bothers you, you've got control issues. Is it really something that's worthy of your concern? Now, I'm going to take five minutes right now, and I am going to chase a rabbit like crazy because it's a rabbit that needs chasing. People are getting so tied up in knots over things that are being posted on Facebook and things that are being said about this election at a level that is becoming absurd. And it's becoming a real problem. It's becoming a real problem among Christians. Now you may say, wait a minute. Isn't the election worthy of our concern? It absolutely is. It, you certainly should be concerned enough about it that you're praying about it, that you're going to take part in the process. But here's where we get in trouble. I take responsibility for my choice and my vote. Where I get into a problem is when I feel the need to control all of your votes. I've got to make sure you all vote for the right person. You aren't my responsibility. Not when it comes to electing a president or a senator or a congressman. We're all tied up in knots about this thing. It's getting to a really unhealthy place right now. And I know this election has been a painful one for everybody to watch. It just has been. It's been one of the ugliest ones in 
in a lot of decades, and unfortunately, the goofiness and the ugliness of that is spilling over onto people. And people are beginning to mimic some of what we're watching on the stage and on on TV and how we're just becoming less than Christian and how we're relating to one another. The world ought to be watching us and saying, wow, they have such a peace about this. They're not tied up in knots about this. What is it about them that they're able to have such a peace about this? How is it they have so much confidence? I want to tell you, I'm not losing any sleep over this election. And it's not because I don't care. I love this nation. I'm very much involved in the process. But I will not lose sleep over this because heaven's still open and Jesus is still on the throne regardless of who gets elected in November. We belong... We belong to a kingdom that is greater than any nation. And our confidence, our hope is in Christ. And Christ's kingdom agenda is accomplished in nations where the government refuses to acknowledge God, where the government says there is no God, where they oppress Christians, and where there's democracy. God's will can be accomplished in all kinds of circumstances. So I I, want to say two or three or four things to us very directly. And not all of this is necessarily going to go down easily. Let me be clear about this. I don't care who you vote for. I truly don't. God's dealing with the controlled issues in my life. I don't care who you vote for. I'm not out to praise or smear or criticize any candidate with anything that I'm about to say. Something that all of us as believers need to take to heart is, first of all, an understanding of this. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, there are good, God-fearing, godly Christian men and women who land in any of four different positions in this current election cycle. There are godly men and women who will vote for Donald Trump. There are godly men and women who will vote for Hillary Clinton. There are godly men and women who will vote for an alternative candidate who has no chance of being elected. And there are godly men and women who will refuse to vote because they are so outdone by the entire process. And whether we like it or not, there are good people who land in all four of those camps. And God has not called us to go run everybody out of the other three camps to get into our camp. Now the one thing that I will do that I will say in this is, please don't fall in the fourth camp that says I'm so outdone that I refuse to take part in the process. Because when Christians begin to bail out on the process in the long term, that's going to have an unhealthy effect on our culture and on our nation. Stay involved in the process. Don't run away from it. Now, where you land in terms of the other three possibilities, that is totally between you and God. And where you land on that is okay. And we need to agree that that's okay. God doesn't have a candidate that we all need to say, clearly, this is God's candidate that we're all supposed to vote for. That's not how it works in an American election process. And we need to stop acting like everybody who doesn't support our candidate is somehow unchristian. You need to pray it through, and you need to vote your conscience. Now, I will say, and this is where I'll probably get in trouble, there are two trends that are are just so disturbing in this, and one is that Christians are belittling or, or calling into question the character of others who don't support the same candidate that they support. That's not healthy. Jesus isn't running in this election. 
If he were, we could take a condescending look on everybody who supports somebody else. Since he isn't running this time around, he's going to stay on the throne of heaven. We don't need to be too ugly in how we treat one another. We ought to be very respectful and understanding that God accomplishes his kingdom agenda even if there's a pagan king on the throne, even if there's a pagan leader in the White House. So we, we can sort of give each other some room to pray this through and vote our conscience on this. The other thing that I'll say as an aside is everybody is hearing the same thing said over and over that's a bit disturbing to me. And that is, and it's funny, it's coming from every camp that people are saying, well, this is who I'm voting for. But the reason I'm voting for them is because I don't want this person to get elected. So I'm voting for the lesser of two evils. It's so funny that people are saying that from every direction. It's like nobody seems to want to stand for or behind anything. They just want to vote for the lesser of two evils. I'm not just talking about the presidential election when I make this statement. Never in an election choose the lesser of evils. Because when you do, you assure that we have chosen evil. You will assure that evil will win when you choose the lesser of evils. You pray and you look until you find something or someone you can stand behind, not something to stand against. It has been said rightly so that not every culture in history has had to have a God. There have been some cultures in history that did not embrace God or any form of a God, but that every culture has had to have a devil. And this election has been a clear reflection of that. Now, I'm not saying that presidential candidates are gods, but it's, you get the point. We don't have to have something to stand for, but we've got to have somebody to stand against. We've got to have somebody that we can vilify and blame. And we have, we've run into an election cycle where everybody's so stirred up against somebody or something, and there's all this hate coming from every direction. We don't need to operate out of hate and just standing against. We need to be the people who stand for something. And in any election, I'm not just talking about this presidential election, in any election, you look, and if you can't find somebody, write in a name of somebody that you could stand for, but stand for godliness and integrity however you vote. And at the end of the day, don't fret about the outcome. I mean, there are a lot of things that are given right now. We can stop unfriending each other on Facebook. In three weeks and two days, we're going to elect somebody. And there are some things that are a given. Alabama will go Republican, and the president will either be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. And whether you vote or not, those things are going to happen, right? So you, whether you want to get tied in knots about that or not, that's going to happen. I would suggest to you today that the Christian response is to say, God, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray for discernment. I'm going to vote. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to trust you to be Lord over this nation. And for those of us who are running around like the little red hen, saying to ourselves, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I would remind you that in American history, there have actually been uglier election cycles. If you doubt it, you need to read back into the 1820s. There were some doozies back then that would make even this one pale in some ways. There have been presidents who have been elected in part because they stood in favor of the enslavement of human beings. There have been presidents who, as a part of their platform, approved the oppression of women, the enslavement of minorities, and other such things. 
And even through those things, Jesus was still Lord. And God, over time, accomplished his kingdom agenda. And God brought us past those terrible ways of thinking and behaving to a better place. And he's still able. So at the end of the day, we can stop worrying like people who have no hope and who think all our hope is in Washington or in Montgomery. And we can surrender and say, God, our government is yours. Whoever we put in office, that's your deal. I'll do my part. But I'm not going to worry about things that don't deserve my worry. And it doesn't, it doesn't deserve my worry for me to fret about who you're going to vote for. So we can show each other respect. We can live with great peace. And the world can watch and wonder, why do they have such confidence? Because I belong to a kingdom. I'm an American, but way more than that, I belong to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom marches forward. The kingdom will not be shaken by this election. Amen? And then at a more personal level, getting back to the, the heart of the point, the question that we asked Is it worth my concern? Think about the things in your daily life. When we're through, we'll be through with this election in three and a half weeks. We'll get back to fretting about other things. Be quick to ask yourself when you're getting tied up in knots and needing to fix it and needing to control it. To just ask yourself, is this worth my concern? Is it worth me getting tied up in knots that my kids didn't match? Their clothes didn't match when they went off to school today or that their hair wasn't just right? Will it matter? Is it worth getting tied up in knots that there were some Cheerios or some trash in the car when the kids left it? You know, I think about the things that used to just make me so frustrated when I was still raising kids. One of my two, it was the oldest. Whitney was the biggest slob in her room. It would look like a bomb went off. Lindsay was the neat freak. Everything would be put up and Lindsay's room would look like a bomb, a disaster area. And that would just be so aggravating. And she got a little bit older and she had a car and then she took that same principle to her car. It would look like a bomb. There are times I'll visit her in Colorado and I'll see that that disease has not gone away just yet. It still looks that way. And that, that just, oh, it would just drive me crazy and I'd just have to say something and, you know, what are we going to do to get this fixed? And that at times would just get me tied up in knots. And can I just say with a few Additional years passed, and she's now 26, and it's been eight years since she last lived under my roof. I miss the days when there was a messy bedroom upstairs. I miss the days when there was a child who just never thought to pick up behind herself. I miss those days. Part of me would would give a whole lot to be able to go back to those times when there was a messy child in the house. Sometimes the things that we get so tangled up over are simply a reflection that God has blessed us and that we're actually in a good season. That, you know, it, the fact that you've got anything else to fret about or, or to control is a pretty good indication that God has put somebody else around you. A messy human being is in your circle. And that's a real gift. I would uh, I'd offer one tip before I move on, and it is this. In relationships... You can have control or you can have intimacy, but you can't have both. Write that one down and go home and chew on it. In a relationship, you can have control or you can have intimacy, but you can't have both. Second question is this. Is it mine to control? 
is this something that's my responsibility to do something about? Now, sometimes the answer is yes. I want to be real clear here today that there is a big difference between surrendering control and relinquishing responsibility. If you're in a terrible mess financially today, if you are, the answer is not to just say, well, God, I'm just going to surrender that to you and I'm going to leave it up to you and I'm just going to keep on living my life and I'll just see what you do with that. No, that plan does not work. If you're in a mess financially, yeah, you need to surrender it to God. But along the way, you need to be making sure that you've got yourself on a budget and that you're doing everything you can to maximize your income and minimize your expenses. Are you doing what you can do to get back in a healthy place financially? Are you tithing? Are you paying your taxes? Are you setting aside something for emergencies? There are things you can be doing to get in a better place financially. It doesn't mean you relinquish responsibility. Are you in a marriage that's in a bad place? Well, is it a good idea to surrender that to God? Yes, but does that mean that you passively sit back and do nothing? I hope not. Ask yourself, what do I need to be doing? Are we doing the things that will foster a better relationship? Are we spending quality time together? Are we making sure that we talk every day? Are we setting aside a time every week to go out on a date where we get to really work on the relationship and enjoying each other? Are we taking times to go away and let, let love flourish? Are we going to counseling if we're in a time of crisis? Are we doing our part in this thing. If I'm a young man wanting to get married, a single young man, do I just go, well, God, I just don't seem to be making any progress here. I'm just going to keep living like I'm living, but I'm just surrendering it to you, God. Well, you may need to do more than that. You may need to do some additional things like get a job. Move out of your mama's basement. Stop playing Pokemon Go all the time and living on video games. And do something with your life. You might want to brush your teeth and put on deodorant and get a haircut. That doesn't look like Fred Flintstone. You know what I mean? Do the stuff that you can do as you surrender to God. We're not talking about surrendering and just going, well, it's just God's deal altogether. We've got a responsibility in a number of these things. So ask yourself... The question, is it mine to control or do I have a responsibility in this? And then the final thing is, is it for God alone? Is this a situation that is for God alone to deal with, that I have no responsibility? And if that's the case, those are the ones that shake us up the most. By the way, that's why this election is, is shaking some people to the core. And I would contend again that, that that is a reflection of us having control issues because we can't control the election and we feel the need to control big things in our lives. And I can't control this. Some things God alone can control. Well, I just can't handle that. Well, here's a good way to handle that. What do you do with that? Heed the words of Paul in Philippians 4 when he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, say it with me, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then this amazing thing happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A great reminder that prayer is not our last resort. You know how we're terrible about saying, well, I don't guess there's anything else we can do, so we'll just pray. As if that were just like, well, we, we can't do anything meaningful, meaningful here in this situation, so I guess we'll just pray. Pray is the first, prayer is the first line of offense in any situation. 
If you care about what's going to happen in somebody's life or in the the course of what happens in this nation, pray. You unleash the power of God when you pray. God who says, with me, anything is possible. Everything is possible. When you pray, you're unleashing God into that situation. That's why he says, in every situation, you pray, don't be anxious, don't fret about it, give it to God. And you do it with thanksgiving. How do you give it over to God and give thanks even as you're giving it over? Here's the how. You give thanks because you know God's going to respond. God's not sitting back going, I just don't know if I want to fool with Jim today. I mean, he's all the time bringing stuff to me. God, Jim, why don't you just handle stuff this week? I'm sick of dealing with stuff. God's never going to do that. Every time you can give it to him and say, thank you, God, that I can just be sure that you're involved. You care more than I do. You've got a lot more resources to bring to bear. And I thank you that you're mobilizing whatever heaven has to mobilize to deal with this situation. Thank you. Thank you that I don't have to handle this. Thank you that this week I won't be carrying this because you are. I can give my cares to you because you care. It's a good place to be. And when we do that, this wonderful thing happens. When we relinquish control, we give it to God, we submit it to Him, and then the peace of God settles in on us. And it's a peace that just doesn't even make sense at some level. Have you experienced that? Something that just had you all tied up in knots. How am I going to fix this? I've got to do something. I've got to get control. I've got to make this happen faster. And then you surrender it to God. And the circumstances haven't changed one little bit. And yet how you feel has completely changed. Why is that? Because the peace of God has settled in as a gift on your life. That calm and assurance that this situation didn't catch God off guard. The Holy Trinity is in an emergency session right now trying to figure out how they're going to deal with this crisis. God's going to take care of this. God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of who I love. I can just be at peace. I can still sleep at night with this. So if you're married right now, or in love with somebody who's making bad choices, destructive choices, habitual choices again and again, you can try and control them. You can nag them, you can coax them, prod them, counsel them, and you know what you'll probably get as a result? Frustration, resentment, emotional distancing. You can push them away. Or you can surrender it to God. Because you can't change the other person. How many times in recovery, Sally, do you all have to say this? You can't change the other person. You can only deal with yourself. You can drive them crazy, trying to change them. Or you can say, God, I love them, but you love them more. This choice that we've talked about again and again that I can't seem to do anything about... I'm going to leave that between you and them. I'm going to hold them up before you every day, but I'm going to rest in what you do in their life. When you're fretful about somebody that you love, that their body is now sick. 
disease has invaded their body and it's killing you. You just, you, you want desperately to find the fix. You want to find the cure and you can't find anything that's working. What do you do? You surrender them in that situation to God. And you trust that God, who loves them more than you do, is going to do the very best thing for them. And you let God's peace cover you. What about when it's your kids' futures? Boy, this is a hard one. What about when you're watching your kids make choices that you just can't imagine? You know that those are not the best choices. Maybe your kids are grown. I look around the room and a lot of you are in the same category as me. We're not, a lot of us aren't raising little kids anymore. Our kids are grown. We want so desperately to shake them and say, you can't do this. You can't live with this man. You can't do this with your money. You can't, you can't, you can't. And the truth is, we can't. We can't fix it. We can't control it. We can drive them away. We can get them to a place that they don't want to communicate with us about heart matters anymore. We can just give it to God. Lord, we surrender it to you. We surrender this situation, this person to you. I want to conclude in a real simple way and ask you again. What is it in your life? What person, what circumstance, what issue... What is it that you have tried to hold on to control that today you really need to let go and submit it to Him? That you need to give it over and trust Him with that person, with that outcome? Do you see what that is in your life? And are you ready to do that now? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. So we join together in prayer. Those of you watching and listening online, would you not tune out at this point? Would you join us? Would you bow together in prayer right now? I don't want anybody looking around or moving around right now. Would you just answer one simple question by, by a show of hands? Nobody else is looking but me. How many of you would just be honest and say, I really do sense God's Spirit is pointing out a person or a situation in my life that I need to let go of control and I need to surrender that to Him. Would you just raise your hands right now? God's put His finger on something in my life. God, you see raised hands across this room. You know the people who are watching and listening online that, that in their hearts they're saying, yes, I know the Holy Spirit's put His finger on something in my life. Lord, we pray for a special grace that areas that we have felt so desperately that we've got to hold on, we've got to fix, we've got to control, we've got to manage. That you would give us a gift of faith today, of simple trust, to be able to hand those people and those situations over to you. God, more than control, we want intimacy. We choose to trust you with these areas of our lives where we have needed to hold on to control. We submit and surrender to you. Now, Holy Spirit, would you come in and do a healing work in us? Would you grant gifts of faith that we would be able to trust at a deeper level? Would you forgive us for times when we refuse to follow your leading, but we've tried to manage and manipulate? 
We ask your forgiveness and your grace. I pray, God, that today, right now, that you would just minister a sense of peace and of relief. Lord, cause your word to just come to life in us, that a peace that wouldn't even make sense would settle in on us. Concerning sickness, concerning relationships, concerning finances, concerning the future. I want to ask one final thing. There are some people who are listening today, and and you don't need to feel bad about this fact, but it's just the truth. Some people, the whole issue of surrendering something to God doesn't really make sense yet because you haven't yet just surrendered yourself, your life, your... And if that's the case, you don't have to study up for that or prepare for it. I want to invite you today. Jesus loves you. He wants what's best for you. He gave his life for you so that your sins could be forgiven and you could belong to the family of God. He has a plan for your life. If today you want to surrender to him, not just some part of your life, but the whole of who you are, would you just in your heart, would you silently pray a prayer with me that says this, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you. I surrender myself and all that I have to you. I want you to have control of my life, my finances, my family, my future. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. And I'm asking you now to forgive my sins and to give me a clean slate and a fresh start. Thank you for loving and forgiving me. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for always hearing and answering our prayers. Thank you for calling people to be a part of your family. And thank you for the freedom that you're offering us today. We receive that with grateful hearts and say thank you. As we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.